Welcome to the Unconventional Path, entrepreneurship and innovation stories and ideas. Hi, I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Today, we are excited to be joined by Jake Jorgman. Jake is founder of Lead Cookie and Content Allies. Jake is another example of an entrepreneur who is seeking a balance between life and work. Yeah, this is an interesting interview, Bela. And this is another person who uh, has a serial entrepreneur and he fits in this category of people, entrepreneurs that help other entrepreneurs. So that's a great story. But before we begin, uh, we want to share with you, our valued listeners, that our podcast today is brought to you in part by the law firm of Phillips Lytle LLP. This is a sponsorship that makes a lot of sense to us. Bela, you know this firm well, don't you? I sure do. I have worked with the key entrepreneurship partners at Phillips Lytle for over 20 years. Their attorneys take an entrepreneurial approach to legal matters, and they have a long history of success with startups. We thank Phillips Lytle for their support of the entrepreneurial community and their sponsorship of the Unconventional Path podcast. Thanks, Bela. So with that, let's move to the interview with Jake Jorgovan, founder of Lead Cookie and Content Allies. Hello, listeners. Today, I'm here with Jake Jorgovan. Uh, he is an entrepreneur that has uh, started a very interesting company uh, that I think can help other entrepreneurs and uh, young startup businesses, as well as uh, other businesses also. So welcome to the show, Jake. Thanks for having me on here. Yeah, absolutely. So Jake, let me ask you my first question here. If you are at a social event, so a non-industry social event, um, and, and you introduce yourself to somebody, and then they ask you, Jake, what do you do? How do you answer that question? Yeah, so I guess if I'm like not in an industry thing or in one of those situations where people may not understand what I'm doing, I guess I would probably say, oh, yeah, I, you know, I run a handful of online businesses um, and, you know, that enables me to kind of travel around. So I normally go there because a lot of people kind of uh, struggle <laughs> uh, to, I guess, understand what I do unless I go further into explaining what the online businesses are. But and then they'll kind of ask, oh, really, what kind of businesses? And I'll normally say, oh, it's I've got a lead generation agency and then as well as a content marketing agency. And so. Uh, I've got both of those businesses that I run basically while I kind of travel around the world. So, yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit more detail about those businesses and what they do. Yeah. So uh, lead cookie is basically, we are kind of a, a new business generation uh, firm. So we basically uh, work with our clients to help them generate new leads and this new sales opportunities for their business. So we'll kind of run full outreach campaigns across LinkedIn, email and phone for them. Um, and so that's Lead Cookie is my uh, more mature business that I've been running for quite a few years. Um, and I've got a, a team there that really runs that one and it gives me a ton of freedom. So I'm, I'm less active in that than I used to be, but it's still uh, rocking and going super well. And then uh, my newer business is Content Allies, um, which is basically a company where we, um, we create content based off of interviews. So we go with our focus is on working with people who are experts in their field. Um, they're really smart at what they do, and we basically help them. Uh, we basically interview them and turn their ideas into written content. So um, that is kind of our focus and what we're doing at Content Allies. Got it. Got it. So let's talk about. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Let's talk about uh, Lead Cookie for a second. Mm -hmm. So in Lead Cookie, uh, there's a lot of people that's that talk about doing that for companies. They talk about you know. Uh, promoting out your business, whether it be in social 
or in search engine optimization, et cetera. Uh, what makes you guys different? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that there's, um, well, there's a lot of noise. I mean, with like, with like a search engine or anything like that, I mean, all of those are tactic tactics. So like SEO would be a completely different tactic. We're more doing outreach. So what we do is we go and um, we're going to find out, okay, who are your ideal customers? And then we're going to go reach out to them. And so we'll basically put together very targeted lists and research kind of the ideal prospects for a company. Um, we'll even go all the way down to hand qualifying each of those to make sure that they're a really good fit if that's needed. Um, and then basically uh, we'll kind of build craft outreach campaigns that will be hitting those people through LinkedIn. We'll be reaching out to them through email. And in cases we'll also be doing phone calls as well. Um, really trying to set up those appointments. So, you know, there's so many different tactics and ways you can generate leads. You could do Google ads, you could do SEO, you could do things like that. But our focus as a firm is really saying, you know, we're going to do that prospecting, that kind of old school sales. You need to reach out to, you know, 20 people a day, you know, you need more people in the funnel. Like that is kind of what we do. So that way you're just handling the people that respond and engage to that while we do kind of all of that heavy lifting and outreach for you. Right. Right. So <clears throat> you're, you're, what you're doing is, I think what you're doing is you are bringing me qualified sales leads then, right? Yep. You're, you're, you're sort of doing what salespeople do oftentimes, right? Uh, and, and, but you're bringing me the qualified folks so I can, in my organization, I can be more efficient uh, at closing these and, and at least developing, uh, you know, strong prospects. Exactly. Yeah. And we, we most of the time work with small business owners who maybe don't have full sales teams yet. And so a lot of times, you know, there's maybe one salesperson at the company or the, the founders are still closing deals. And in those cases, it can be kind of hard and challenging to hire, I guess, an SDR would be kind of the best description, like a sales development rep who's someone who just does prospecting and outbound. They don't close deals. That's kind of a, a term in the industry that we, we basically fulfill that role. Um, where we just kind of take that on. And so that way you as kind of the owner or you're like, you know, one or two salespeople, they're just handling those opportunities and they're not having to do all that prospecting all day. So they can focus more on uh, the opportunities that are a little further down the funnel. Right. Right. And, and uh, how do you charge for that? Is it on a percentage basis or per lead or how do how do you, how does that part work? Yeah, so uh, we, we have kind of a handful of different packages. Um, most of the time it's throttled based on the number of contacts we're going after. So um, our, we've got packages kind of starting at 850 per month. Um, some, and we have some that go all the way up to you know, over 3,000 a month for people that are doing uh, a higher volume or you know, maybe want more services or calling added into the mix as well. So um, it definitely ranges, but we most of the time are charging based on uh, the number of contacts we're reaching out and then the number of channels that we're, we're going to reach someone on. And honestly, you know, not all channels, not everything always makes sense for everybody. So we always kind of try to pair with our customers what the, the best approach and the, the best, you know, volume is uh, for them as well. Yes, yes. So I imagine it does take some amount of interaction here in sort of the beginning to sort of understand your customer, understand their product, understand who they're trying to target before you actually start doing these outbound interactions. Approximately how long does, does sort of that front part take? Yeah, um, it's about a two week onboarding um, for us. Um, one of the, I guess one thing that uh, I'd say is probably the biggest people that come to us that have worked with other like kind of cheaper providers or stuff similar to us before, like their biggest complaint 
is always, oh man, like they just, you know, filled my funnel with a bunch of horrible leads or like it was targeting the totally wrong people and stuff like that. So we try to make sure that we really spend time on the front and getting very clear on that, that we're hitting the right people, everything like that. But typically it takes about two weeks to get things going. Um, if, you know, our clients are, you know, responsive and quick to, you know, give feedback on their side. Um, and then, you know, it, within typically even about the first 30 days of outreach, you can start to see some results from that. So it's, that's the good thing about outbound is it does start to generate, you know, results quickly, but closing deals can take a little longer. It's not the same as uh, an inbound lead, but, um, it is a nice thing that you start to see some opportunities really quickly. Right. Right. And, and do customers typically do, uh, an engagement for a certain length of time or are they ongoing, uh, engagements? Yeah. So, um, we, you know, we, we do a three month minimum engagement with our company, but what I'll say is that, you know, sometimes like w- the thing with outbound is sometimes you can kind of really saturate, you know, and, and I, your I guess I, I best prospects. So we have some customers where, you know, where we run a five month campaign and it's like, okay, we've hit the best people that, you know, with this channel that we can really go after right now. And so, um, you know, we may hold and pause there and then we've got others, um, that have been with us for two years. So, um, you know, we just keep finding new kind of segments or different types of people or angles to go after. So um, it definitely can vary. Um, sometimes, you know, we, we've got some customers where we just say, hey, like, you've got like a three month campaign here, and this is really what this looks like. And so it might just be a short kind of, you know, spurt, but it, that can ultimately lead to a large growth in their network, a lot of opportunities that they can then kind of work those uh, leads for, you know, years to come. Right, right. Very nice. And, and the customer, uh, your client, owns those leads? Yep, exactly. Yeah, so all of this we're doing either through their own LinkedIn profile or through an email account with them. So they completely own all of that and have that as well. Very nice. Very nice. Now let's switch gears and talk a little bit about uh, content allies. So uh, talk about that business a little bit. Yeah, so with content allies, um, what our real kind of focus is is creating kind of higher level thought leadership content for um, our customers. So the kind of the whole idea is that, you know, people that are experts in their field that are charging a lot for their time, whether those be consultants or um, attorneys or anything like this, where, you know, you're selling your expertise. Um, Really a lot of businesses are really expertise driven. Um, They have this challenge where they know a lot and they could probably just talk all, talk your ear off all day about what they do and how they help their customers and everything. But most of the time those people either struggle to have the time to write or they just maybe don't have the skills to write marketing content, even though they could talk about it all day. So our entire focus is helping these people who are already experts in their field, but haven't captured that in writing. And we basically interview them, pull those expertise out of their head and turn that into marketing content to really help them kind of establish their business, kind of, you know, increase word of mouth and referrals. And then, um, and really kind of just create that marketing content that's going to establish them as a thought leader in their field. Yeah. You know, I've had a few previous guests uh, on here uh, that really demonstrated the value of sort of doing this. Uh, both of them sort of when they were starting out, they wrote some articles for trade publications, uh, you know, that then helps to establish their name within that industry sector as sort of an expert. Uh, and then they built on those you know, some additional talks and uh, presentations so that if someone, you know, hears about you and they, and they go online and they do a search on you, you're going to show up in all these various different places. And they actually did those things sort of before they launched their business. 
uh, as sort of a precursor to it. And they, were, and they both talked about how effective that was for them. Um, so how do, how do your customers find, find these types of activities to be beneficial to them? Yeah, it's, um, it, it's extremely valuable. I mean, there's so many ways. I think the, you know, some of the biggest ways that I look at that, the, the benefits that come from this is, especially if you're already, you know, say established in any kind of capacity or you're running a business, you know, for many service companies, like word of mouth and referrals is, you know, where so many people are getting their customers from. And content is just kind of this natural amplifier to that, where it's just going to keep you top of mind. You're going to like, with content, it's like, it's hard to always measure content, but I can tell you, um, I, I didn't publish content for like four months last year. I just got busy with kind of another initiative and like, we just saw lead volume drop. And then I started publishing content again and you just see lead volume go up and like referrals coming in and like more things happening. And so it's, it's really just crazy how it just amplifies word of mouth and referrals. Um, cause just people are thinking of you and you're top of mind. So, um, that's one big benefit. I think another one that people always look at as well is, um, content can really help you, I guess, close more sales as well. When you create pieces that are going to be definitive, that kind of demonstrate your expertise, that whenever you have a customer that you're in conversation with, you can say, Hey, I've got this piece that showcases our like framework or our mentality or our approach or this content piece that maybe is going to ease your biggest objections or concerns. Um, so those are kind of some of the really big ways that I, we always see kind of the, the quickest wins on it. And, you know, the, and then, you know, getting it out there, just kind of the, the inbound that could come from it is great. But I think those are two of uh, the biggest benefits of just amplifying that word of mouth in the short term. Yeah, I think this is a real valuable point for, you know, our entrepreneurial listeners where, you know, the, the almost any business space now is so crowded. You have so many competitors and you got to figure out ways of getting yourself to the top of the list. Uh, and I think this is a great way of doing that. I'm a firm believer in sort of this notion of, of putting your name out there, putting yourself out there and, and getting, as you say, get, keeping you sort of top of mind. Uh, because all of us have lots and lots of competitors in everything we do. And uh, this is a great, great uh, value, I think. Definitely. So let's, uh, let's take a step back. Uh, let's go back to Jake when he was a young lad. Uh, where'd you grow up, Jake? I grew up in St. Louis, uh, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And is there like entrepreneurship in your family? Were your folks entrepreneurs? Uh, not at all. So I'm definitely the first one to go down this route and, yeah, just at some point growing up, um, I, I started doing, I guess my first entrepreneurial endeavor was this recording studio in my basement uh, where I would record local bands for $10 a song mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, terrible, terrible hourly rate on that uh, when you actually look at the work that goes into that. But um, that was kind of like my first entrepreneurial endeavors and um, that eventually grew into actually making an audio video production agency when I was in college. And from there, it kind of just kind of has spiraled into this path of where it is now, but it, uh, yeah, definitely did not come in the family blood or anything there. Right. Right. So have you always worked in businesses that you have started? Uh, my last job was when I was 19. Um, so that was the last time I've had an actual job. Um, but pretty much since 19, I have been, self-employed in uh, some capacity in one way or another. So yes, right. I've not worked for, for really any other, any other businesses. Yes. Yes. And so where are you now geographically? 
Uh, so currently today I'm in Montreal, I'm actually en route to visit my family in, uh, in St. Louis. Um, but my current residence is actually over in uh, Germany um, as I'm, my wife's doing a master's program. So completely remote with the company and kind of travel all over while running it. Yeah. So I think it, it was uh, when I was reading about your background, it, it, it seemed like this notion of uh, life work balance is very important to you. And this notion of, of uh, you know, not being a prisoner inside your own business uh, is important to you. Where, where was sort of the foundations for that laid to, to sort of get your thinking in that way? Yeah, I guess um, probably, you know, like many people probably started with uh, the four-hour work week, reading that and kind of just shifting your mentality on what's possible. And just somewhere along the lines, like uh, I just really just started shifting toward uh, freedom as kind of a major focus. Like my, my goal this year is actually, you know, by the end of the year to only be working 10 to 20 hours a week while just kind of having a slow, steady growth in both of my businesses, nothing crazy, just, you know, steady growth. And, um, and so I think it's just kind of, it came from starting there and it, and just over time, just realizing that, uh, I just don't want to spend all of my days working and you can very much build businesses where they can run without you lead cookie. I, I spend about four hours a week on that business right now. And most of my other time is in content allies. So um, it's, uh, I don't know, I just got a shift that happened over time, but it's something that I enjoy living, I guess that contrarian or slightly different lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, well, Jake, I'm glad we're recording this because I just looked down at my zoom recorder and I didn't turn it on. <laughs> no worries. It's uh, I got mine recording here. So we got two of them going. Okay. So hopefully you're recording uh, this complete conversation because uh, I am not. That's very That's embarrassing. Right. Even, even after having talked about it, I didn't press the button. No worries. Oh. I got it going. I will press it now, though. So uh, <clears throat> where did the um, – so what definitive steps – so I'm an entrepreneur, right? I have my own business. Uh, what type of definitive steps can I take? if I want to sort of reduce the amount of hours I'm spending uh, per week on my business? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just to figure out how you can remove yourself from the work and the de like the deliverables. Like that's step number one. And I think where most entrepreneurs struggle is that they think that inherently they, the business is only valuable because they're working in it. Um, and like, that's a trap that took me a long time to get through to realize, Hey, other people can do this better than I can. Um, and, and I think that getting over that hump and getting to the point where you just delegate and you delegate and you delegate until everything, like even like the strategy, like the high level thinking stuff like that is pretty much off your plate other than like maybe like the organization strategy. Um, like it's just kind of piece by piece, but I, I, I feel like that is, the, what I see is like the biggest struggle for most is they're afraid to hand things off. Um, and, and I think the other thing with it is that comes with it is also just like accepting the losses. Like if I still worked in my business, I would make more money, but I hired people to replace me in some of those roles. So I make less because I hired full replacements from everything. And hopefully eventually that scales up to kind of replace that. But the reality is if I, you know, if I were still running sales, I'd be pulling in quite a bit more money right now. If I were still kind of doing strategy, I'd be 
pulling in more. Like there's times in my business where I made more than I am today, but I didn't have the same freedom that I have today because I was doing so many other roles that I've now hired out to other people. Right. Right. And, uh, so there is this balance you're talking about, right? Or there's this trade-off, I should say. So you you may be having to trade more free time for yourself uh, for a growth rate within your business. Yeah, I think it's just and it's it's just a thing to recognize, I guess, because I, I, especially for like I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they often just look at the profit margin of their business and they don't think of like the salary that they should be paying themselves for each of the roles that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And so I think whenever, you know, you actually, you know, I, now I kind of look at this and I, with my, with content allies, I'm still doing so many roles. I'm like, all right, well, eventually that's going to be, you know, a marketing person in here at X amount per month and a salesperson in here. And like right now I'm just kind of, you know, fulfilling those roles, but eventually I'm gonna have to replace those. Um, and so I think it's just kind of understanding that and seeing that and then also just deciding, you know, what's really, what do you want and what's more important at times at other people that might be in, more income is more important. Like I'd rather, you know, make that extra three or four grand a month and not hire that person yet. Um, like that's a totally kind of a choice that you get to make. Um, but it's just kind of deciding where your priorities are. Yes. Yes. So is there a sort of a size of organization where you should start thinking about this? where you should, you know, uh, if it comes up or, you know, what's sort of the sweet spot for, for something like this? I, it, it can totally vary. Like I, I would say with, um, with lead cookies, I was building it up because like it was my livelihood um, while I was building it up and like I needed the income and like I was doing so many other roles and I was also kind of like, there's also a learning process too. You know, you have to kind of learn to hand these things over. Um, you don't always succeed every time you hand a rollover and that can be, costly mistakes early on in a business. Um, but with lead cookie, I, I handed, I held on to things for quite a long time before handing them off. And so that was a much slower process. Um, and so that did happen organically as the company grew and kind of scaled and, you know, different levels, we would kind of hire a different role. But, um, the interesting thing is with content allies, um, I've never written a piece of content, uh, for that company and I've never, acted as the lead strategist for a client. And so literally that company from day one, I have only done the sales and marketing and I've hired out the execution um, with the intention that I just didn't want to wrap myself into that. And that also meant for really about the first nine to 10 months of the business, I didn't pull an income. Um, but I was able to kind of build this infrastructure and build this team. And now we're surpassed that I'm able to start pulling an income. Um, but I also had literally a lot of freedom from it. Even content allies, while it's my main focus, is still probably only maybe 20 to 30 hours a week. Um, so it's still not a massive amount of time for right. me very, right. since I'm not in the, the delivery. Yes. So as you were saying that, it got me thinking about uh, content allies. And one of the things you're doing for, let's say I'm one of your customers, one of the things you're doing for me is you're sort of uh, amplifying my presence out in the marketplace, you know, sort of my personal presence out in the marketplace, my credibility, my expertise, et cetera. And do you find that, or, or let me try to ask this in a way that makes sense. Is there a, a point where, you know, it almost seems contrary to what we're talking about, right? Cause you're almost, you're, 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 you're taking myself 
and making me a personality within my business. So my customers are going to want to talk to me. They're going to want to see me on the account. They're going to want to see me talk to them on the telephone, et cetera. So you have a lot of businesses like that where they're really uh, personality-driven businesses, uh, you know, one key individual. And, and then customers start to, to make this connection between the business and that individual, and they're sort of synonymous. Then extracting yourself from there can be a challenge. And we've seen that with large businesses, right? I think the Jack Welch and General Electric, right? Yeah. Everything revolved around him. Uh, and it happens with small businesses as well. And uh, so if you find yourself in that situation, uh, how do you sort of think about that? How do you sort of extract yourself from that? Yeah, so that is, um, it's an interesting one. So, it's, it's, uh, so there's pros and cons to that. And that's uh, very much like the situation that I'm in. Like my, I have a personal brand at jake-jorgovin.com and um, thousands of email subscribers. And it, it is a large driver for both lead cookie and content allies for customers. Um, and so it's an interesting thing because uh, I won't say it, it, like there's pros to it because people connect with personal brands more. Like they just do. Like they're going to follow the content from a person more than they're going to follow the content from a company. Exactly. Um, but, and like at the same time, um, you know, I, I actually went, tried to go through an acquisition process with lead cookie last year. And that was a huge problem for potential buyers of like, Hey, your personal brand is driving a majority of the leads. And so like, it comes with a downsides where even though, um, you know, it, it, it does still have negative effects, but that being said, that doesn't mean that I need to be on all the lead cookie sales calls just because I have the personal brand out there and I have this company that I own and I write about doesn't mean that people expect that I'm going to be the one on uh, the sales calls all the time. And I, I had that fear initially, but um, it actually wasn't too much of a difficult challenge. Like eventually I just kind of stopped showing up on sales calls or people reached out to me and I said, Hey, I'm super busy, but here, let me connect you with Isaac on my team uh, who runs sales. And it, it has not actually been as much of an issue. So I think, you know, if I were selling my expertise, it would obviously be an issue because it would be limited by me. But because I built a product that people are buying um, and I'm using my personal brand to drive toward that product, um, I think it's still something you can really utilize that in a way. And it's uh, people don't expect to be able to talk to you just because you're the one putting out the content and everything. You know, it's just like if you reached out to Gary Vaynerchuk's companies, uh, you're probably not going to get Gary Vaynerchuk on the phone. Um, you know, you, and you would kind of expect that. So um, it's not, I think it's not as big of an obstacle as some people make. And it's honestly just been an amazing asset that's just helped me so many times over the years in terms of building my own businesses, which is why I ended up creating Content Allies. Yes, yes. Excellent point. Uh, so are there uh, sort of various different uh, companies that a strategy like this works for better than others? You know, are there certain industries that that are more receptive to this type of thing or or uh is it really go across cuts across everything i think it goes across anywhere where you are um not as commoditized and really it can't it can't fit into a lot of spaces but i think the more um like i guess like blue sky or unique your value proposition is the more you're going to be able to cut through I'll give you an example. One of our best customers, like um, success stories, we had this guy who did um, uh, contract negotiations with salesforce.com. So like really super niche. Like he negotiated 
like enterprises would come to him and he would go negotiate their Salesforce contracts and save them money. And so it's like super really small little niche in the world. And um, we wrote this content for him and like no one else had really written much on this topic and ended up generating him over a million dollars in new business um, through the, the content that we're putting out there. And it's still serving him today. And so um, I think like your value proposition, if you have these like really tight little niches, that can make it easier for the content to cut through. Uh, because, you know, if you were to go, if you were to go out and try to write, oh, I'm going to write something on just, you know, business negotiation, like probably no one's going to listen because there's a million books on business negotiation. Um, so I think it t takes like having a good value proposition to really get that to shine through. Otherwise, you're probably just going to see kind of, you know, average results if you're just kind of going after a, a pretty commoditized or, you know, unsexy kind of value proposition there. Right. So in a business like your, your two businesses here that we're discussing, uh, you have a lot of customers, you engage with them, you know, pretty, pretty deeply for a period of time. Uh, have you ever been in a situation where, where you've had to, I'll use the word fire a customer? Uh, yes. Uh, I actually fired one last month uh, <laughs> from I'm thinking of, but uh, you know what we have, it's, it's not too common um, but it, it, it does happen. Like we had one cost, like, like the only, like this happened. So literally this, this woman was just horribly mean to our team. Like, like just putting them down and saying they were horrible and stuff. And like just rejecting, like it was, uh, it was, a, we were doing just LinkedIn content for her at content allies. And it was just like out of the gate. And she, like the, the thing she was responding was, was like, what is wrong with you? Like, why can't you get this right? And like, it was just, horribly mean like over and over just like abusing the team yeah and uh we were just like um you know before we were even a month in, we're like hey this uh this isn't working you know we've delivered you 20 posts you've approved eight uh and like you're being really mean like this is not working so yeah not a fun thing but it's just like it's i was not a <laughs> not a sad thing to let her go either so yeah, so I mean, that's an interesting point because particularly when you're starting your business, you know, uh, uh, you're you're really hungry for customers, and oftentimes you'll you'll do things that you know you're doing them because you got to make payroll in two weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, so as you think about the the few times that you've had to fire a customer, sort of where do you draw the line for that yourself? I mean, how do you sort of approach something like that? Yeah, so I think the actual more, um, I'll take this kind of a different angle, but like one of the things that is interesting with uh, Lead Cookie is that we are actually very selective on who we take on. Um, because like when we're doing outbound, uh, and, and like I mentioned, like kind of you need like a good value proposition for outreach as well. And so with Lead Cookie, like we actually run this issue where we probably reject about 90% of the leads that come to us. Um, because we're looking for people that we're confident we can run a successful campaign for. Um, and so with like lead cookie, like we literally get all these leads and like, we're not just like, Oh, sell everybody that comes to the door. Because if we did, we're going to have tons of failed campaigns. Cause if someone comes to us and they say, Hey, I want you to do outreach for my web design and SEO agency. It's like, well, there's, it's just not going to happen. Like there's so much of that junk and spam out there. Like it's not going to work. And so, um, we're actually kind of more than like having to fire customers. We have to more or less just turn away a lot. And it's like a, 
it's this thin balance um, that we have to kind of walk, but we do a 30 day money back guarantee, which actually forces us to only bring on people that we think we're going to succeed with. Um, and so that is, it's a challenge, but like, you know, you run a handful of bad customers or fail for customers or just have a not good relationship. And um, you either pay for it on the front end by losing the sale or you pay for it even worse on the back end by tons of wasted time. And so, you know, we just opt for trying to only sign people that we're confident we're going to succeed with. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And, you know, particularly in the type of business you're in, which is sort of a bit of a consultative type of business. Uh, it really is a valuable lesson in sort of uh, picking your customers carefully, uh, picking the ones that you can add the greatest amount of value to, uh, because then you have the happiest customers as well. So it's, it sort of reinforces itself. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, it, it's it's so true, and it's again, it just creates better, you know, case studies, better success stories, and it's it's weird to turn people away, and that's a challenging thing. But like, uh, you do it enough times, and you sign bad people enough times, and you realize it's uh, you'd rather turn them away. So, right, <laughs> right. So, uh, how many employees across your two companies, Jay? Uh, so, Lead Cookie, we're we're roughly around twenty full time, with about five or six kind of part time. And content allies, we have really, it's almost, uh, we've got basically I have two full-time people there and then we've kind of built a contract model with a lot of people that again are near full-time, but they're kind of contract and flex up and down with us. So um, yeah, probably about 30 across the two organizations. Yeah, very nice. And, and how do you think about hiring and recruiting employees? Yeah, so we've actually got a pretty uh, ridiculous um, hiring process. Uh, if you go to either of our sites and you look at the we're hiring page at the bottom, um, I kind of follow this process, I guess, somewhere read called the gauntlet, where like our application process is like <clears throat> this eight step process that is like has all these like Easter eggs hidden in it. It has these like very specific requests. One of them is to uh, record a 60 second video, not a second longer uh, explaining why you would be a good fit for this position, have Mozart playing in the background, say moist is the first word of your uh, video and toodaloo is the last word. And so it's like this really just kind of ridiculous like hoops to jump through, but it filters people out like heavily to where you're only looking at a handful of decent applications um, versus you know, hundreds of just resumes and stuff like that that you're sifting through that people are just firing out there. Um, and so that is kind of one of the things we do on hiring, which is extremely helpful in just weeding people out and getting us to good candidates really quickly. Um, so that's one thing we do, I guess, at the, the application level on the hiring side. Right, right. Very interesting. So uh, how, what kind of people do you think a, a process like that weeds out, right? What, you're asking folks to make a video, start with a certain word, end with a certain word. So... What, what sort of the, uh, the characteristics do you think that that brings forward in a person? Uh, so detail-oriented is definitely one that it brings forward, which is something that I, I think is a phenomenal trait to have in anybody that you're going to work with. Um, you know, details, things falling through the cracks, one of the hardest things to uh, just most painful things. So like finding people that are detail-oriented, like that is like a huge thing that it pulls through. Um, it also pulls through definitely very process people. So we've had to kind of actually, when I started doing this for writers, I had to adjust it a little bit and kind of scale some of that back because I wasn't getting enough writer applications. Um, 
so, you know, with writers, I had to kind of make it a little bit more like, Hey, showcase some of your writing work. And here's like a quick little writing test and stuff like that. So we, we still made it work, but we had to make it a bit more creative. Um, but like the, the lead cookie one is made to find people who can just operate and be extremely detail oriented, which is what we need at that company. So you can kind of tweak that process to, you know, whatever that specific traits you're looking for. Um, but I think it also just weeds out, I think people that are just going to blast out their application, maybe aren't that interested or, you know, it just helps you find the good ones among the ones who aren't going to put in the work to do that. Um, we've also right. gotten, we've gotten re- emails. I've gotten just horribly nasty emails from people like kind of cussing me out and saying like, your application process is ridiculous, like screw you and stuff. And it would just, I find hilarious. And I always post them with the team. Cause like, mm-hmm. and we all get a kick out of it. Cause like all 30 of us are like, everybody went through it. And then there's some guy who never wouldn't even put his name on it and just decided to yell at me. So uh, it, it weeds out people that probably would be a horrible culture fit too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, I, I always think that uh, when you do things like this, it, it does, it does sort of self-select uh, the, the folks that will come join you. Uh, but you know that those folks fit in a certain culture and, and if your, your, your sort of uh, gauntlet process helps to reinforce the culture that you want to have in your business, I mean, that's exactly what you want. It's perfect. Yeah. One of them, we even have them, like one of the last things is just like, hey, put a clip to a 30 second or shorter funny video. And like, because we just like humor and like have fun as one of our values. And so uh, we always do like jokes every week. And that again, helps people fit into our culture and stuff like that. And like as ridiculous as it is when I'm looking at different candidates, if someone's got like a, a hilarious video, like it's going to make me kind of like them a bit more. And I'm going to think they're going to fit in a little bit better. So um, yeah, just all those kind of things like it, it add into the mix. Yeah. Very nice. So uh, Jake, if a, a young entrepreneur uh, came up to you and said, uh, you know, what's your three, three big pieces of advice? Uh, what would you say for someone starting out? I'd say one of the biggest things I would go with would be, first of all, that like your success in business is determined by who you are as a person, more so than the tactics of the specific little things you're going to learn or do. Um, and I think that's that's just a lesson that took time for me to learn, but just as I think it's the reason why self-development and entrepreneurship are tied so closely together is it very much heavily impacts it. So that would be one thing that I, I think is just a, a big thing to realize that if you're, you know, going out drinking a bunch or, you know, just, you know, not stable or don't have good routines, like your routine is your business is going to reflect that as well. And that's how I guess I was earlier in my entrepreneurial career as well. And as I got sober, cleaned myself up, like things got a lot better too. So um, I think that that's a, a big lesson that I always share with people as well. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, we've been uh, talking now for, uh, oh, 30 minutes, 35 minutes or so. Uh, and I want to respect your time. Are, are there any things that I should have asked you that I have not? Um, I think here, I guess, um, I'm trying to think maybe, you know, for the audience, um, you know, it could, I think one of the most actionable things I could also share is just kind of, a bit more on the, if, you know, someone is wanting to do their own outreach, you know, how does that start or how could they do that? I feel like I could probably provide, I can provide some very actionable stuff there that people can oh, that's great. do. Yeah, yeah. Actionable stuff is always good. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead. 
Oh, okay. Perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So one of the things I'll share with everybody that I think will be uh, just really, you know, helpful is just to guess if you're going to run your own outreach campaign, say you're going to run a LinkedIn or uh, outreach or email outreach and just kind of how to go about thinking about that. But um, basically what I would recommend on this is, you know, going into LinkedIn and getting LinkedIn sales navigator. Uh, if you have not, it's their kind of premium product. And once you're within there, you can get really kind of specific on narrowing down the exact types of people you want. So say you're targeting, you know, marketing directors at, you know, companies in the Chicago area and have at least, you know, 10 employees and less than 200 and you want to get in front of these people. Well, you can get really targeted with LinkedIn sales navigator on this. And so, um, you know, what you can do is go in there, kind of build a list of prospects, people that you want to go after and kind of start putting together that queue. And then the steps of like actually just getting in front of them and starting to get meetings is really, really simple. Um, basically, you know, you're going to reach out with kind of a, a, a standard kind of connection request saying, Hey, you know, was, you know, came across your profile while I was browsing, you know, you know CMOs in the Chicago area, you know, found you what you're doing interesting thought I would connect and, you know, put your signature and maybe your website or a tagline about your value proposition there. And when someone accepts that, what you then want to do is then kind of try a handful of different angles to try to uh, basically send follow-up messages to try to see, you know, if you can get that person to a call or get them to show interest. Um, there's a bunch of different approaches that we found have worked really well on this, but um, whenever someone accepts a connection, we'll often, you know, say, hey, I've got a you know, case study on how we helped someone uh, at a company similar to yours, uh, you know, basically produce XYZ results. And would you like me to send it to you? That's a phenomenal way. Like those tend to convert really well. Uh, if you're able to get a case study of a very relevant and similar customer in someone's hands. So, you know, documenting your existing customer cases, case studies, and then reaching out and trying to replicate those is super powerful. Um, we've done some where we just, if you have a really good value proposition, just saying, Hey, this is what we do. Um, would you be interested in talking more and, you know, just being very short and sweet to the point, don't make this a big essay, but just kind of asking someone, Hey, would you be interested in a quick call? Like that again, can often convert to a lot of opportunities. Um, you can also kind of, uh, offer a resource at times, or if you've got, you know, um, a guide or something that could be really actually valuable to them or anything along those lines. Um, or if you're doing something local, just ask someone, hey, would love to take you out to lunch or coffee, just trying to connect with others in the area. But just the simple act of going onto LinkedIn, um, sending out these kind of messages, there's these kind of different angles that I've talked about here. And um, I've got a blog post that actually kind of, or an ebook on our the lead cookie site um, that actually goes through all these frameworks in a lot more detail and even gives you sample scripts. Um, but just this simple act of, you know, if you're just reaching out to even like 10 or 20 people a day and you're doing that and then following up consistently, like you're going to start getting opportunities and appointments if you've got a decent value proposition and um, you're reaching out to people in a very personal and non-spammy, non-salesy way. Um, so that's just one of the things I would say for anybody, like if, if you're wanting to try to get into outbound sales, like that's a simple approach and framework for getting started. Yeah, that's great advice, Jake. That's really, really good. I'm sure our listeners will appreciate that. So do you have a, 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 a similar piece of advice for someone who is uh, sort of thinking about content allies and sort of building their profile within, within you know, the industry and stuff? 
Yeah, I would say the biggest thing that I would look at is if you're if you're looking to get started with content, um, you know, if if you're struggling and you know to do it on your own, and you know, the biggest thing that I would look at then is making just you know even just a few really good pieces is worth more than a ton of low quality ones. And so one of the things I always um, kind of try to advise people is like, how do you make your cornerstone content is kind of what it's called. So like this one definitive piece that's like just establishes your expertise. And so um, for the, the individual I mentioned earlier who did the Salesforce negotiations, we did one article on like understanding how Salesforce negotiates and that single article alone generated over a million dollars for his business. And it just comes down to it was like really in depth. It was well thought out. It articulated and it gave away like all of his approach and his secrets. Um, and I think that that's the way to go. Like we didn't, you know, create an article every week for, you know, two years for him. It was like one phenomenal, really good article that he was able to use in the sales process and everything like that. So um, when you're thinking about content, don't get overwhelmed. Don't think you need a whole content calendar. I think like a lot of people come to me and they're like, Oh, we need a content calendar and like a plan for the whole year. And it's like, I I've never seen anybody stick to a content calendar. Like it's just, <laughs> especially not at the small business level, like only like publications and stuff like actually pull that off. Well, at the small business level, you're best looking at, okay, if I could just create, you know, one or two or three pieces of like really good content that I think I could you know, send to my clients, I could send to prospects, or this would maybe be something that I could use in the sales process, or it would just help establish me as an expert in my area. Like, let's just create those few really good pieces. And that's going to take you way further than trying to just, you know, blog once a week forever kind of thing. So that would be my biggest recommendation is just a few high quality pieces is worth way more than a, a bunch of kind of low quality ones. Yeah, that's super. That's super, Jake. Thank you very much. Uh, well, let's wrap this up. Uh, you've been a fascinating guest. I've really appreciated uh, the conversation we've had here today. And uh, I think you've shared a lot of really good tips and advice for our listeners. Thank you, Jake. No problem. Thanks for having me on here. Absolutely. Bela, interesting story. Again, this is somebody who has definitely followed the unconventional path, I think, to get uh, success and happiness, right? This balance. Um, what did you think were the keys to kind of Jake's uh, I don't know, finding the the way along the path. There were a couple of markers that he talked about on the way where he could turn right or left. And uh, what do you think the takeaways are in general for people who are kind of searching for this work-life balance that uh, we can learn from Jake? Yeah, so I think I think that's a good question. You know, I, I think there's a couple elements to that. One is recognizing opportunities and then acting on them. So I think that's one element. If, if you see something that you think other people may want, or a service you may be able to provide, uh, I think that's one thing. The other one is, I think, saying no. The ability to say no to, to various different customers or potential customers who may call you up. And then really, I think the foundational piece here is, is getting your priorities figured out and setting your priorities. So he, he, he says he, doesn't, he only wants to work a certain number of hours per week. I think the other underlying thing here is in order to do that, if you're going to accomplish that, what do you need to do? Well, you need to figure out how to make your business run without you. And this is a real challenging exercise, I think, for lots of entrepreneurs, right? Because entrepreneurs oftentimes want to be in charge. They think it's really difficult for anything to happen without them. 
and, and their whole business revolves around them. Well, the trick to, not the trick, but the thing you need to focus on if you, if you want to have any free time during the week and not be totally consumed by your business is you need to put a plan in place where your business can run and survive without you being there all the time. And I think Jake has done that very well. What did you think, Mike? I agree. Uh, his approach, I think, was really interesting, and it takes a lot of self-discipline to do that. I think you and I have both struggled through the years of um, trying to do that, uh, but but I really liked his approach, and I think it's worth emulating. Um, the second kind of piece that I thought was interesting is as he was building his business, his kind of unique way that he recruited and selected employees. I don't know if I would broad broadly advocate this, but I think in this, in this specific situation, it's an approach that... Um, identifies a key characteristic of employees that it's really important to him and his organization. Um, the, this idea of attention to detail and this idea of cultural fit. Um, I'm not sure it gives him enough information on the other skills that people need, but, um, but it is interesting. What was your reaction to that, Bela? Well, you know, this is a, a minor variation, I think, of what we've heard before, right? Cultural fit is really, really important. The type of, uh, uh, energy that they have, uh, the, the how they interact with other people, those things are primary because they're difficult to change in someone. It's very difficult to change behavioral patterns. So someone who's detailed, oriented, someone who communicates well, so, someone who interacts in a positive manner with others, those are sort of, pers- I say they're sort of personality traits. Can you learn yeah, those? Sta- stable personality traits. Exactly. <laughs> right, stable. right. Exactly. Can you learn them? Sure. You can improve, <clears throat> but they're sort of foundational to you. Uh, so we've often heard other entrepreneurs talk about this. Okay, that's what I really focus on. And if that's good, then I look at the other skills. You know, are, or can they learn things? Are they smart enough to learn things? Can I train them? Are they willing to be trained? Right. So, so all of these things, I think, are uh, what he talked about is not that far distant from other things we've heard. Uh, yeah. he, just, he just kind of articulated them, I think, in a different way. Yeah, which was interesting. The third piece that I think is interesting is just this whole idea of selling in the digital era, right? And the, what his companies do, do. So we talked about kind of, kind of his process to get where he was and the process he uses to build his team. Now the content of what he does is kind of interesting. You know, I'm a process versus content guy, Bela. I always love to break things down into what's the content and what's the process. And this was, to me, it really struck me very clearly that um, the content of what he does is also interesting. And this idea of digital sales and using LinkedIn to generate sales leads and uh, and things like this. This is really valuable, and I think that you know a lot of people take it for granted. But the idea that entrepreneurs need um, help beyond just Google AdWords and buying Facebook ads uh, to really um, make things sing. And in fact, you and I should consider using a service like this to build our listenership for our for our podcast, Bela. Right? Um, because that the art of really the the uh, the finding the right way to communicate with the right people at the right time, so that they are interested in your in your product is, is a hard thing to do. It's easy to say hard thing to do. People think, Oh, I'll throw something on up on Instagram or I'll make a LinkedIn post and people will, will flock to me. It's just not true. Um, so I thought what he was offering was really interesting. What, what, what was your sense in terms of the, the product that he's delivering? Yeah. This notion of customer acquisition is a real challenge for many, many businesses. 
And look, as you mentioned, you and I tried, right? We we bought some uh, Facebook uh, ads, and and uh, we might as well burn the money in the fireplace, right? Because we didn't know what we were doing, and we didn't know do a very good job at it. Uh, so there is a skill and an art here in customer acquisition in this digital age, and 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 the good news is you have lots and lots of customers to reach. The bad news is you don't know where to look. <laughs> Right. And yeah. and people like Jake, who have these types of products to help entrepreneurs and small businesses figure out where to zero in on, uh, I, I think are really, really invaluable. Uh, and and, uh, you know, I think that's one of the big challenges today. Uh, the, the, the notion that you can sell to anyone anywhere around the world is a is a awe inspiring notion. And, and you couldn't do that 50 years ago, but now you can. But that's also makes it a huge challenge. Right, you're trying to sell to different cultures, uh, it, it, different people uh, who have different values, and and so you really you got to sort through this. And it, I think it takes more focus and more time and energy today to figure out who your customers are and how you can reach them than it ever did before. Yeah. So I think I want to add. You know, if longtime listeners will know, I always say, you know, you need a good lawyer and a good accountant, right? And you, those are the first two people that you need on your team. And don't try to do it yourself, right? Um, that it's really important to get good guidance on this. And I really think this idea, like you said, of customer acquisition costs, CACs, we call them kind of, um, is so critical to the success or failure of any kind of business that's going to use e-commerce or it walk in too. It's the same in businesses that are bricks and mortars, but how are you going to generate those customers? I think that when you're an entrepreneur, you can't necessarily afford to hire a team of people who are uh, relationship managers and digital media specialists and things like this. These are luxuries that only bigger companies can have, but seek out um, a company, right? Like what Jake does, uh, if not Jake himself, but seeking out a company like that, that can really help you optimize your strategy, pick the right targets, pick the right message, pick the right vehicles and get some expert help on that. I think if you include in your financial plan uh, money to do something like that, that'll be money that pays you back many times uh, over in the long run, especially when they come to you and say, look, there's no easy way to get to this customers. Before you even start your business, you might want to consult with somebody like this to see if your idea of how you're going to reach customers is feasible, given the economic investments you're willing to put into that. So, I, you know, this is uh, something I know about, something I thought about, but the way Jake framed things really made it, it was an eye opener for me. And I'm going to add that third kind of leg of the stool, uh, an accountant, a lawyer, um, you know, and a, and a, uh, uh, marketing outreach, a consumer acquisition kind of specialist that you put into your, your toolkit of kind of consultants that you bring on early on to give you advice and help you launch your business successfully. Yeah. Those are great points, Mike. Anything else on this one uh, we want to kick around or are we good? No, I think, I think we can wrap it up, Bela. All right, let's do that. Cool. So takeaways today, right? Finding your path is really important. Looking for opportunities as they come, not being afraid to jump. This idea of work-life balance and having some control over your time, really, really important. And so the process of becoming the entrepreneur, the, the professional person that you want, uh, Jake's got an interesting story and has taken an unconventional path to get there and it's worth thinking about. Uh, and then the content of what he does, uh, this idea of helping you figure out how you're going to acquire your customers uh, is really important. And uh, I like this takeaway of this is the third the third leg of the stool after your your lawyer and your accountant uh, should be 
um, your customer acquisition specialist. So that's it for today. We're happy that you, our valued listeners, joined us in our podcasting adventure, and we hope you found this interesting and thought-provoking. Uh, at this point, we'd like to once again thank our sponsors, Philips Lytle LLP. Uh, and if you need good, solid advice starting, funding, or selling a business, whether you are a single-person startup or working on a nine-figure exit, Bailey and I confidently recommend, as one of your three key uh, consultants, right, when you start the business, the attorneys at Philips Lytle. Hey, Bela, what do you think the best way for listeners? Uh, 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 hey, Bela, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with Philips Lytle? So, for more information, contact Rich Honan, who is a Philips Lytle partner. You can reach him on the, tel- on the telephone at 518 618 1225, or you can reach him electronically at rhonan at philipslytle.com. You can always find his contact information in our show notes. So thanks for joining us this week. If you have questions about what we've discussed, suggestions about topics we should cover in the future, or maybe help us identify some potential guests, please do get in touch with us. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And if you haven't already hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcasting app, please do so. We have lots of great guests in the pipeline. So until next week, signing off from upstate New York. Have a great week, Mike. Thanks, Bella. And to our listeners from over here in Münster, Germany, we wish you a pleasant week.